Dean's trip. It has been so long. He left on, uh, gosh, what day was it that he left? It was the, what, well, I don't even know what day it is now. 27th. It was a Sunday in the evening. He left on a Sunday evening, the 27th. And so the goal is he's going to land in LAX uh, like at 6.10 on Saturday night. And his goal is to be here on Sunday morning teaching. So be praying for him. Uh, we were just texting right before uh, we got started right now. And I said, are you sure? Because I'm going to go up there and tell everyone to expect you. And he said, you better believe it. So uh, he told me to tell everyone how much he misses you guys. And um, it's, you know, it's long when, uh, when my mom goes, I'm really starting to miss your dad. <laughs> you know, uh, so she had kept herself busy for a while, but now she's like, okay, I miss my husband. I'm ready for him to get home. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, 21 days is kind of too long of a trip, I'm thinking, from now on. But, uh, but anyway, we're, we're continuing on in 1 John uh, while Pastor Zeke's gone. And so we'll be in 1 John chapter 3. Uh, last time we were together, Tim Kelso taught, and he got through the first three verses of uh, chapter 3, which is really good. I mean, it's that whole portion on, and, and you could, could have just stayed in one verse that whole night, where it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we'd be called children of God. And uh, I thought I did a great job with that. I'd tell you to listen to it on the website, but we had a problem with the recording last week, so it's lost for all time and eternity. Um, and so you can just ask, maybe just ask Tim and he'll, he'll teach you. But, um, so if you weren't here, you're just gonna have to trust that he did a good job and we're going to pick up in, in verse four. And so let's read verse four through the end of the chapter. And, uh, and the goal is to finish the chapter tonight. So we'll see how we get on that. So first John chapter three, verse four, it says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Verse 10, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who uh, was the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, then, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees a brother in need and shuts up his heart from him... How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Father, we just pray now that you would make this book live to us. Lord, I think of that old prayer that says, show, Lord, show us who you are here in this book, Lord. Show us who we are 
and make the book live to us for your sake, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so there's a lot there. There's a lot of things that can be confusing with that text, right? There's some things that we could uh, border on even sounding like legalists as we look at today's text. And so uh, my prayer, this, you know, right even before I came up, it's like, okay, Lord, help me to really uh, explain what you're saying here. Help me not to misrepresent you on one side or the other, right? On a side of being overly legalistic, but also not to go overly soft and say something that you don't say. And so he, he's going to talk about sin. He's going to talk about the origins of that. He's going to talk about uh, that, that basically who we are and the way we live represents who we're associated with. And, and it's not, it's not, again, legalism would say do certain things or don't do certain things in order to receive something from God, right? That's legalism. But a right relationship with the Lord is since God has done what he has done, then our life ought to look different, right? Uh, I think Spurgeon says something along the lines of, of, of a, a, a grace that saves us should be a grace that changes us. Right, that we can't continue to be the same people we used to be before. And so, again, he had started the chapter, like we talked about last time we were together, that we are now children of God. That we go, oh my gosh, what manner of love must this be that the Father would give us that title of being children of God? That we've been adopted into his family. It's such a great privilege. So since, that's the backdrop. So since we've been adopted into God's family, because God has poured this love upon us, this is the life we live now. And this is what it's to look like. So he uh, is going to talk about sin and abiding in sin. And one of the things that we're going to talk about first is the different verb tense here. Because uh, we as English speakers have three tenses in the way we speak, don't we? We have a, a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. Well, in the original language, and I'm no Greek, okay, but... People say this about this who are smarter than I am, that there are multiple kind of present tenses in the Greek, at least two of them. And this one would be one that has to do with an abiding or a continuing act. Okay, so uh, and we'll, we'll get to what that looks like right now. So he says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. We're just talking about when he says uh, committing sin or 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 you know, living sin, it's lawlessness. It's without law. It's an offense, and it's offense towards God. And we know that word sin, you know, it's an archery term, right? That you're, that you're shooting for a mark, and if you were to miss that mark, even by a little, it's sin, right? You've missed the mark. You're a sinner. You didn't hit the mark. Well, the mark that's been set before us to live right before God is what? It's perfection, and so if we can't live a perfect life, then we're sinning and we're committing lawlessness. And so he says, and sin, you know, that's what it is. It's lawlessness. It's not being perfect and, and it's, it's breaking God's law of perfection. And, and now verse 5, it says, and you know that he, capital H, he, Jesus, was manifested. So he came to take away our sins and in him there is no sin. So what does he start with? He says, hey, we're all sinners. He says, whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. We have Jesus, and, because, and he came to take away our sin. Now, you don't have to turn there, but you could note it. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when Joseph is approached by the angel, and the angel says, hey, Mary's going to have a baby, right? She's going to have this kid, and this is what it's going to be like, and they go through the whole thing. If you remember, he says, and you're going to call his name Jesus. Why? Because Jesus literally means Savior. He goes, because he will save his people from their sins. That was the reason Jesus was manifest. And when we look at Jesus for anything else, we start getting on kind of shaky ground. That the purpose of Jesus coming. Now, because some people would say, hey, come to Jesus. And you could have your best life. Well, I don't know about you. I, I remember talking to somebody and he goes, you know, aside from eternity with Jesus, my life hasn't necessarily gotten better here on earth since following Jesus. 
like, like in, a, in a very natural sense, there's few benefits so far to following Jesus, right? Uh, this guy had a wonderful career, and, and, you know, he realized after he got saved, I can't keep doing this career. And then he's, he's like, so, so financially, I'm worse off, you know, after becoming. But so when we follow Jesus for a different reason than just salvation, it's de- because that's not the primary reason he came. Now, does he give us abundant life? Absolutely, he gives us abundant life. Uh, but but to, to go other people, well, I'm going to come to Jesus so that I can reconcile with, you know, a person. Now, that can happen, that, that we reconcile with people. But that's not the primary thing. The primary thing was that we, our sins would be forgiven, we'd be reconciled with God, right? Some people, you know, again, they follow Jesus for, uh, well, if I come to Jesus, there could be healed. And sometimes, right, people have been healed, and maybe there's people in this room who's like, no, I was healed. That's what brought me to Jesus. Maybe it was. But if we're always just looking for the healing hookup, there's going to come a point that we go, wait a second, there's not a healing happening, or are they healing the way I think it should be happening? And then all of a sudden, now I don't know if I trust God or not. And I've heard that so many times from people, that when Jesus doesn't come through with the hookup that they're looking for, they go, I don't know. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it still works. And it's like, well, then you're looking at Jesus for the wrong reason. He, because we're all sinners, Jesus came. It says that he was manifested to take away our sins. Now, how can he be worthy to take away our sins? Well, it says it right right after that in the second part of verse 5. It says, and in him there is no sin. That's the only reason he's able to take away the sin, right? We know the old system, the Old Testament, the old uh, uh, system of worship was that that the priest would take an innocent animal, the person would kind of transfer their guilt or their sin onto that innocent animal. That innocent animal would be killed and die in their place. And, And we learn that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Well, then, now in Hebrews, right, it says that there came a point that the blood of bulls and the blood of goats wasn't enough to cover sin any longer. We needed someone who, was, who can not just go and cover sin, but completely take away sin and, and provide a once and for all sacrifice to cover that. Well, well, the only one that could do that is one that was like us, a life equal to us, but better than us, right? Animals, you've you got to sacrifice a lot of animals to cover for a lot of human sin. But so you need one greater. And so it says, so he came to take away our sin, and in him there was no sin. If I were to die in your place, it wouldn't do anything, right? It doesn't benefit you. I'm just as sinful, if not more so. so. So it wouldn't be helpful if I died in somebody else's place. So with that kind of being the baseline of what we're talking about, he says that, that committing sin is lawlessness, sin is lawlessness, and, and Jesus came to take away our sin. So now he's going to go through some things, and it's going to sound very repetitive. But he says, whoever abides in him. So the one who's connected to Jesus continues to remain uh, plugged into Jesus. It says, does not sin. And whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now that, at a first read, you can go, wait, 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 wait a second. Because it doesn't say it in the past tense, right? Like whoever used to sin. Or whoever, it says that if you abide in him, it says that whoever abides in him does not sin. Well, many of us would go, wait a second. Because just like two minutes before I walked in here, and actually while I was already in here, some of the thoughts that were going through my head, I know were not perfect, and I've been sinning already. So... What does that mean? Does that mean I'm not abiding in him? This is where that verb tense comes into play. Uh, If anybody has like a a new international version or a new living translation, um, I I, I do like, I think that the NLT does a little better job on the translation to help us understand uh, what it says. But but in the new living translation, it says to keep on sinning. It's talking about this habitual lifestyle of sin. Uh, I've heard it explained at times that, that sin, a, a good kind of barometer, and we'll probably even talk about it a little more here, that when sin is our goal, that's a dangerous place. But when sin is just our distraction, right? And you know there was a time in our lives, before we knew God, before we walked with God, that we just walked towards sin, we had no problem that we were walking towards sin, and we had no desire to turn away from that sin. We, and we had no power to turn from it even if we wanted to. 
When we get saved, we get a new nature. We start turning, and now we want to walk towards God. And as we walk towards God, there's still the things that are behind us that are always grabbing hold of us, trying to get us. They, they run from behind us and go get in front of us, and they, and they do whatever they can so that we would fall into sin. But, he, but what he's talking about here, he's not saying that, that we can't possibly sin anymore. Guys, up until eternity, we will always struggle with sin because we live in a sinful world. But it says that whoever abides in him does not sin. So as we, as we read that, and it says, and whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Now, now we know that it has to just be this verb tense thing because earlier in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, so we know that, that, we, that we have sin in our lives, but he's talking about that, that constant, that habitual lifestyle of sin. And so again, we know that we can't possibly be perfect. So in verse 7, he says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness, uh, just as, wait, he who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. And so these two go together that he's saying, okay, if we continue to sin, if we continue to live this lifestyle of sin, then it could be said that we don't that we don't know him. And he says, and if you practice righteousness just like he is righteous, then we're righteous. Now this righteousness is not just and I like it because there's two things here. It's one thing to say, okay, I'm just not sinning. When, it, when it, we talk about righteousness, though, it's not just the absence of evil, but it's that presence of good, of being able to do what's right. It says just as he is righteous, we realize that he's the source, and we're going to see that because we've been born of him, that he's the source. He's not just one of the resources in our bag to not sin as much, but he's the source. And this is the, this is the really difficult thing about explaining what it means to be a Christian, that when Jesus Christ comes and forgives us of our sins and comes and lives in us, his Holy Spirit taking residence, he begins to live his life through us. That it's not like we have to try to be good, to, to try to stop sinning, to try. It's like if I could just be good enough, if I could try harder than I did, that's legalism. Just try hard. It's not just try harder. It's, it's to be able to say, God, you live your life through me. Because that, isn't that how it starts in verse 6? It says, whoever abides in him. He goes back to what John talked about way back in, or what he talked about way back in John chapter 15. Right? You guys know the story. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Just, just abide in me. Be plugged into me. Be connected to me. And then as we're connected to Jesus, we don't have to try to do anything. He does the work. And I think it's so, uh, you know, again, everybody's heard that old thing that you never see a tree like straining and making noise to try to push out fruit. It just happens naturally. You don't, you don't walk by and hear this groaning as you walk through the groves. And like, what is that? Oh, they're, they're trying to be fruitful. <laughs> of course not. It's not that way at all. What is it? It's just if the right, you know, sunlight is happening, if the right water is happening, if the right soil is happening, that tree can't help but produce good fruit. And for us in our lives, that if we're just connected to Jesus, right, we're taking in from him. We're putting ourselves in a place to hear from him. Then the natural byproduct is this goodness that comes out of us, this righteous life that we live. And I like how, what Dave Guzik says with these two verses. He says, how do you react when you sin? Do you give into the pattern of sin and let it dominate your lifestyle? Or do you humbly confess your sin and do battle against it with the power that Jesus can give? He says it's so important that we never sign a peace treaty with sin. That we just go, you know what? And, and man, this can happen in a lot of areas in life. It's not just one major sin. But in so many places in our life, we could say, well, you know, I, you know, I just, I'll probably never get over that. You know, I think of sometimes people go, well, well, my dad was an angry man, so I'm an angry man. My kid's already showing that he's going to be an angry man. You know, it's just, it's part of our family. We're just angry people. Now, you might be angry, right? But again, to whatever degree it's sin, 
guys, it has to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that we would confess it as sin. And, now, and I like how, he, how Dave Guzik says that. How do we react to it? This is a good barometer for us. When, when it says, so whoever abides in him does not sin or does not continue in sin. Whoever continues in sin has neither seen him and doesn't know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who continually practices in righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Verse 8 and 9, now he talks about the negative part again. He says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. He really doesn't mince words there, does he? He says, he who sins is of the devil. You remember Jesus, right? When Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and, and they go, you know, well, we, you know, we weren't born of fornication like you were. You know, you're all messed up and whatever. And, he, and who does he say their father is? They're calling him illegitimate. He goes, you know who your dad is? You guys are of your father, the devil. Because you guys are liars and he's been a liar since the beginning. Here, John says that... that that he who lives in this pattern, this lifestyle of unrepentant and habitual sin, it says, is of the devil. That's serious, isn't it? And I want to really look at that because it would be easy to go, you know, you know, John's just kind of be exaggerating a little bit here, or, or it's just kind of, you know, he just really wants to put the, but, but, but maybe it doesn't exactly. Guys, if we believe that what we hold in our laps is the inerrant word of God, then we need to be serious about the way we look at some of these verses and go, okay, What's my life look like? Because these like four verses, verses five, six, seven, or sorry, sorry uh, six, seven, eight, and nine are pretty serious. That to live a lifestyle of constant, habitual, unrepentant sin and to not even feel bad about it is a dangerous place to be. Because, now, it, does that mean like, wait, so I lost my salvation? And again, I, I go back, Jeremiah and I were talking right before we came out here. That story when Jesus tells a parable of an unforgiving servant. Do you remember this? Where there's a servant who owes the master so much money. And he goes, you know, be patient with me. I'll repay you all. And it was an amount, it's like in the millions of dollars for what it would be to us. That could never be repaid. And the master goes, okay, you're forgiven. That same servant, right, goes to uh, another servant who owes him probably the equivalent of like half a year's wages. Obviously, that could be paid back at some point. And he goes, and he says the same thing. Be patient with me. I'll repay you all. And he goes, yeah, right. I'm going to throw you into the debtor's prison, man. You know, there's no way you're getting out. And so when the master comes and hears about it, he goes, wait a second. Didn't I just forgive you of like a ton? And you couldn't forgive him? What does he say? What does he say he does with that servant? He, he says, I'll tell you, like, that dude's going to go where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Does that mean, do, wait, wait, does that mean if I don't forgive enough get, that God doesn't forgive me? No, what it means is that, again, we're always talking about what Jesus has done first for us. That if we can't be forgiving people, that we need to take a close look at who we are and say, have we really accepted what Jesus has done? It, it's okay, I think, to look at our lives sometimes and go, am I really doing what God wants me to be doing? Am I really living in a way that represents God well? Now, again, that's not to say we never sin or we never, it's like, wait, so if I sin tonight, like I'm totally jacked up. That's not what I'm saying. That's what I was saying. That's why I'm trying to repeat myself so many times, right? Like this constant, habitual, unrepentant, and go, I don't even feel bad. I don't even feel bad that this is who I am, right? And, and, and it could be whether it's, whether it's bitterness, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's something that, you know, a vice that you've had or whatever. It's like whatever it is that, that we can't, again, make a peace treaty with it, like Guzik would say. 
I like what Charles Spurgeon says here when uh, talking about in relation of, of these verse 8 and 9 about, about living in sin and being of the devil. And, and uh, he says, where there's a real faith in the atoning sacrifice, it'll purify a man and it'll make him hate the sin which shed his Redeemer's blood. There should be a true hatred of sin. You know, the Bible uh, tells us in the Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. There should be a hatred of it. And I'll tell you, man, there's times in my life when I find myself sinning and I'm like, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that about myself. I hate that I can be that way. I hate how I could be so selfish sometimes. And that is a good uh, reminder to me that like I can't, I can't stay comfortable in a sinning state. Now, I still stumble all the time. There's times that, I, but you know what it's like that after you sit, you can't just sit and go, I don't have a problem with that. No, I'm fine. You can try to tell yourself you're fine, but you're like, ah, something's eating away at me, and I know I have to make something right. I know I have to apologize because I can't keep behaving the way I'm behaving. Or I can't keep living in this thing. And I, and I love this because earlier it says in verse 5 that Jesus was manifested to, wake, to take away our sins. But another reason he was manifested, it says uh, in verse 8, to destroy the works of the devil. Not just to minimize the works of the devil, not just limit the works of the devil, not just to neutralize them, but to destroy them. And he talks about being born of God in verse 9. Again, from the beginning, chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has just bestowed upon us, that we'd be called children of God. Because, because now in verse 9, we've been born of God. And so that old nature is now gone. And rebellion should be dying. And we, should, we get this new nature, this new desire to obey Christ. You remember, before we were Christians, we had no desire even to stop sinning. You know, sometimes there was like a little bit of a, you know, I, I wish I didn't do this as much, or I know I'm, not, I know I'm bad, I wish I could change a little something. But, but we would just trade one sin for another. But here he's saying, you know, again, after being born of God, there's a new nature. And there should be, guys, a real change in our relation to sin. Verse 10, it says, In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother, this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So again, he's like, hey, I've told you kind of the, the characteristics of those who are, are children of God and those who are children of the devil. He says, here's how it's made manifest. Whoever practices righteousness, and we talked about this righteousness, right, about what's doing what's right before God and before man. But here he kind of turns the corner because so far he's just talked about like our sin between us and God. And, and there's kind of this easier part when it, do we just talk about us and the Lord because we can go, well, I feel sorry for my sin and I, I don't want to sin and God knows my heart and God knows. And, but he goes, okay, but what does that look like practically? And we've all heard, you know, that relationship that goes up and down, right? Of course, that's the first one, between us and the Lord. But then that relationship that goes this way between us and our, and our fellow man. And here, and we're going to see it because and he says at the very end, I don't know how far we're going to get. Maybe we'll finish, but. But, but this command, you know, you remember when, when Jesus says that the whole law and the prophets are summed up in this, right? Love God and, and love your neighbor. Because here he says that it, the children of God and the children of the devil, here, here's how it's manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That if there's not that righteousness, that righteous life before God, you know, then, then you're not of God. But it says, but nor is he who does not love his brother. It's like, ooh, I had you till that part. You know, I had you till there. I, I want to love God. God's worthy of my love. But is my brother worthy of my love? Well, not always, right? My brother's actually very hard to love. Even my, my brothers and sisters in the church at times can be hard to love. You know, my, my, my actual blood family can be hard to love. Everybody's hard to love. And so there's times that it's like, well, I'll love God, but I can't like that person. I won't even love him, you know. 
And I, I remember hearing somebody say, you, you know, in the church, you just, you have to love your brothers. You don't have to like them. You just have to love them. I think that's like trying to make a little loophole here. Now, again, that's not to say we all hang out and we're all best friends. It's not that. But there should be a genuine love one for another. And he says, this is the message in verse 11. He says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. John was there walking with Jesus. When Jesus told them in John chapter 13, turn there real quick, because if it's not underlined in your Bible, it ought to be. John 13, 34 and 35. Now Jesus has has just washed his disciples' feet. He's teaching them. He just said, you know, if I've given the example to you, you do it for one another. And then, and then as he's getting ready to talk to them, he says in verse 34, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That that's one of the proofs. And isn't that one of the differences It's one thing to just be zealous for the things of God and love the Word of God, and we should. We should love the Word of God. We should desire to worship God all the time. But but I'll tell you, it shows itself in the way we treat one another. And and he'll get to that, and we're going to, you know, we'll start speeding up from here. But, But if we're right with God, We need to be right with men. And if we love God, we need to love others. Some would say there needs to be a family resemblance. Right? You know those kids that are like, I know whose kid you are. You just like them. Right? That's what he's saying here. He's talking about being a child of God or a child of the devil. Where's the resemblance? (laughs) That hopefully the resemblance shows in our love. Guzik said this again, righteousness without love makes us a Pharisee, right? I'll always do the right thing, but I have no regard for other people. I don't do it. I don't, I don't care about other people. I don't love it. But there's this love, this genuine love we have for one another. And how we treat others is a good indication of what's really going on between us and the Lord. And then he uses this example in verses uh, 12 and 13. He says, you know, not like Cain. He was of the wicked one. It says he murdered his brother. He goes, why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother was righteous. So don't marvel, brothers, when the world hates you. That the world has a different nature. The world has no desire to please God. It has no desire to love God. And and so, you know, you guys know the story. We don't have to turn there. But back in Genesis chapter 4. That, that Cain, you know, brings all his fruit before the Lord, and he goes, hey, here's what I got, you know, and it, and it would seem, we don't know exactly how it was done. We know that it wasn't done in faith, and we know uh, that it wasn't done with the same type of love and sacrifice that Abel had. And so what does Cain do to his brother? He hates him, and he kills him. And he says, why? Because his works were evil. His brother was righteous. So he says, so, so don't be surprised when the world hates you. Verse 14 says, but we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren and he who does not love his brother, he abides in death. And and hasn't that happened? That we have passed from death to life. There was a time our destination was hell. We were in the fast lane, right? Someone's like, I wasn't in the total fast lane. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, we were still on that side of the freeway, (laughs) right? Heading straight towards hell. And God saved us. We've passed from death to life. And now we're on our way to heaven. And so he says, so if that's happened, and he says, and we love the brothers because of it. Like, again, there should be such a change in us from what we used to be. That back in those days, we didn't care how we affected other people. We didn't care about our brother. And there was times like, you can, you know, we just weren't nice sometimes to people, right? And so he says, Whoever, verse 15, whoever hates his brother uh, is, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life 
abiding in him. And this goes back again with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And you remember when he says, you know, you heard it said, don't murder. He goes, I'm going to tell you if you're hating your brother without cause, you've already murdered him in your heart. You're just as guilty before God. And so again, so these two things he's talking about, about actively pursuing righteousness, honoring God by being a child of God. But, but if we're actively pursuing sin, you know, habitually unrepentant, uh, unrepentant sin, then he's like, man, child of the devil there. And there's no eternal life abiding in that. Verse 16, he says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I love, how, I love that so many places in Scripture we see this, that whenever there's a command uh, to, to do something, Right? Whenever there's this call to do something, so often God goes, and this is how it's done. It's been manifested in me. I've shown you how to do this. Just like Jesus, when he told, right when we were back in chapter 13, when he's telling the guys to love one another, he, that's not a new command. He's like, love one another as I have loved you. That's how you love one another. Right? In the washing of the feet, he goes, I've given you an example. I'm not just telling you to be a servant. I've shown you how to be a servant. And here he says, by this we know love. He laid down his life for us. And, and we just talked about it, right? We just had communion the other day. That's something that Jesus didn't have to do, right? He laid down his life for us so that we could have life. He says, so we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. And he gives a, a little picture here in the next two verses. He says, whoever has this world's goods sees a brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Guys, our actions show what's in our heart. Now, this isn't a call, and I feel like we just talked about this on Sunday. This isn't a call to like, you know, communism or something where we all, you know, we all have to have equal things and all be miserable the same together. That's not what it's saying. But if we seen that Jesus has laid down his life for us, and, and what, did, what did we just say in, in Corinthians? That it's like that, that he set aside his riches, took on poverty, that through his poverty we might become rich. That here, guys, that if we have opportunity to be a blessing, and so I'm not saying you can't enjoy what God has blessed you with, you should. But, but when you can help, and I think of the Proverbs, it's got to be early in the Proverbs, it's like chapter two or three or four. You can read them all tonight and, and then let me know next week. But he says, don't withhold good when it's in the power of your hand to do so, right? That if you can be a blessing, be a blessing. And, and, and it's not just, I think, like in James where he says, you know, you see your brother, you know, he's, he's cold and naked and you just go, well, uh, and he's hungry. Well, be warm to be filled. See you later, brother. Uh, hope you find what you're looking for. Uh, God bless you. Uh, it, it's more than that. This, this actively pursuing good for our brother. So he says, if you got the world's good, you see your brother in need and you just shut up your heart from it. It says, how does the love of God abide in that? How does the love of God abide in you with that? So he says, little children, verse 18, let's not just love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth. The actions follow what's happened in the heart. Another, another quote I read says, if love is not evident in our lives, our salvation can be questioned. But if it's present, present then we have an assurance. How much of God's love is evident in our lives? Um, I think sometimes we can kind of get saved and, and walk with God for a period of time and we don't struggle like we used to, right? We don't get tripped up like we used to. And, and, and we kind of forget what it was like to fight sin and have no power over it or to lose more than we win. And we kind of forget what it was like. And we can have this like frustration, kind of get bothered by, by people or things. And, and it's like, no, no, no. There should be a genuine love for our brother. And so he says, don't, don't just love in word. It's easy to say 
you love, right? And what's that, what's that famous you know, marriage quote, right? Don't just say that you love me. Show me that you love me, right? We, we could say it all day. But, it, but if there's no action behind it, then, then it could be argued that maybe there isn't much there. And so he says, little children, let's not just love in word or in tongue, but in deed, so in what we do. We love. And this can give us this assurance, like we just said, in our hearts. Verses 19 through 21, it says, By this we know that we're in the truth and will assure our hearts before God. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And so as this love is happening, because again, there's times in your life, there's times in my life that you're like, man, am I really like on the right track? Is there really anything there? Am I like going to heaven? Yeah. Yeah, we are, guys. Again, it's not what we do to earn God's love, but again, because of what God has done, right? It's not, it's not, uh, it's not faith by our works, but it's a faith that works, that since God has been who he's been, that since God has done what he's done, there should be a response that comes from us. And again, there's sometimes, and I, and I hate answering this question, um, but, but sometimes people go, well, well how, like, like how much do I have to do and still be okay? Like how much do I not have to do and still be okay? Like, like is it okay if I still don't forgive that one person? Is it okay? Like, like how, and it's almost like how much sin can I do and it's still all right? Or, or, or how far can I go and, and, it, and it not be over the line? That shouldn't be the goal. I've said it before, I, and I'll say it again. I want to try to get, I don't, I don't even want to ask those questions anymore of myself and of the Lord. Like, Lord, how much sin is like, like, where's that line? I want to be so far from that line. And, and I've said this before, I, I want to get so close to Jesus, my face burns off. Like, that's how close I want to try to get to the Lord. That I, I would rather find out, Lord, how close can I get to you before I turn to dust? Like, how close can I get before I just disintegrate? That's what I'd rather find out than go the other way and just go like, well, well, you know, I mean, you know, and, and read these verses and have to play some bi uh, biblical gymnastics to try to say we're still good, right? Because it's really clear cut, isn't it? That if we want to keep sinning, then there's a chance something's not happening in our heart. But at the same time, there could be an assurance. And it's like, Lord, I desire to be close to you. And yeah, you know what? I got tripped up again. And I'm so grateful for your grace. I thank you, that I thank you so much. And I pray this regularly. Lord, I thank you that there is so much more grace than I have sinned. And there's never a point that I run out of that grace. Right? That there, it, it would be like taking a little, uh, you know, cup to, to, to the ocean and like, you know, taking that one cup. And it's like, well, that's all I could ever have. It's like, no, then I could... When that's used up, I can get enough, and there's never going to be a time that I could use a cup and empty the ocean. And that's God's grace towards us, guys. And again, it's like, I, I know, but sometimes, and, and what does the Bible tell A righteous man falls seven times, he gets up again. So it doesn't just mean, because I've heard some people like, so if you commit the same sin twice, you're probably not saved. I don't believe that for a second. We're going to sin. But again, what's our response when we sin? And if there's a response of like brokenness, of saying, I don't want to do that. I want to get better. Lord, help me not to do that. Not to earn your love, but because you already have loved me. Then help me to walk in that. And that's that assurance he's talking about here because there will be times that even our heart condemns us. That you're like, am I even saved? You ever failed so many times in the same way that you just go, Lord, am I even saved? And that's when he says, even when our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart. And he knows all things. Our heart, we don't have to be condemned by our own hearts. And that's what I love about, about know, knowing that God is stronger than I am. I've been adopted in his family, and he could hold me in this family better than I could hold myself in this family. But I also know that what will continue to happen as I continue to draw near to the Lord is he will help me to not be a slave to sin. He will help me to walk right. 
In verse 22, and he says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. That reminds us of, uh, is it Psalm 37? Might be Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And, and he says it also back in John chapter 15 about this, whatever we ask, we receive. That as we're connected to him, again, think of, think of just like a branch that's connected to the tree. That the orange tree doesn't pray like, Lord, please help me to make apples. <laughs> it just goes, just help me push out what I'm supposed to push out. Right? And so when we're truly connected to God, we start asking the things that are connected to God. We start asking for the things that are in line with his will. And so that's why he says, he says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. You, you know, again, like, what is it? It's in Luke, I think, where he says, you know, it's, it's in the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Lord wants to give us good gifts. He wants to give us these things that we so desire. And so that we would pray, it's like, Lord, help me to be that man of God. Help me to be that woman of God. Help me to do the things that you want me to do. Help me to do the things that are pleasing in your sight. Those are the prayers that God goes, I can answer yes to that. I'll answer yes right now. To be made more into my image, you got it. Sometimes it comes with some trials to make sure, you know, like, you know, like those times it's like, Lord, make me a man of faith. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to show you how to trust me now. Lord, make me patient. Okay. I'm going to send this new coworker over to help you learn to be patient, right? Verse 23, it says, this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ and then love one another as he gave us commandment. That's the command, guys, Jesus. And I, I love how when we look at the commandments of God, that if you follow Exodus, there's those 10. And you read those 10, you go, dang, that's a lot. I am so guilty before God. If you read all through the first five books, the the religious leaders counted them, you know, what was it, 613 commands that come from God. Jesus simplifies it, and he goes, love me, believe on me, love me, love your brother. That's the commandment of God. And it says, now he who keeps his commandment, verse 24, abides in him, and he, God, back in him, us, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. Man, there is so much there. That he says that we abide in him. And I'd encourage you as like a little bit of homework, go back and read in John chapter 15 where he talks, he goes, abide in me and I in you. And he, and he says this, what does he say? Without me, you can do nothing. You, you can't make any of that. We can't make any of this happen on our own, guys. We can't, we can't just try hard and, you know, be good enough and be smart enough and, and just try harder, just do better. It's not that. It's just stay connected to God. Stay connected to Jesus. And again, I, and, I, and I think even when, you know, I've heard it taught in the past, you know, when people teach on the fruit of the Spirit and they're like, so try to be faithful, so try to be more self-controlled, so, so try and do these things. And it's like, that's not how fruit works. The only thing we can control is the connection we have to Jesus. And so many times, I can't tell you how many times, and it doesn't matter, like, and, and I don't mean to oversimplify people's problems or my own problems, but it really is a pretty simple gig. Abide in him. Just stay connected. People come in sometimes for counseling. Oh, we're, I, we have this kind of problem, or I have this kind of problem, or there's this other kind of problem. I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. It's like, great, get back into that connection with Jesus. Connect to Jesus through the word. Connect to Jesus through prayer. Connect to Jesus through being taught the Bible. Connect with Jesus through taking communion regularly, like remembering his death and, and, and remembering his resurrection. And, and just all these things that we know connect us to the Lord. Worship the Lord regularly. Just connect with Jesus. And what happens when we connect with him? Then he connects with us. What does the Bible tell us? Draw near to God and he does what? He draws near to us. This is the whole deal.
And again, I'm not trying... Now, it's simple. It's not easy. Right? It's not easy. But it's a simple task. Stay connected to Jesus. My prayer has, has become in this kind of season... Um, because John chapter 15 was kind of our theme verse when we went to Canada, you know, as a missions team. And it was just like, abide, just abide, just stay connected to Jesus. And then uh, in Galatians chapter six, where he says, you know, to sow to the spirit. He says, whatever man sows, that will he also reap. So he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And he says, and so don't grow weary in doing good because in due time you'll reap if you don't lose heart, right? And so my, my, the theme for me for like the last, since, since July has been like abide in Jesus and so to the spirit. Just you do those two things. And then it kind of, it kind of I guess, is summed up in, in Matthew, where it says, um, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That that's where all this happens, and it's like that he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And he says, and, and by this we know he abides in us. Here's, here's the proof, the guarantee that we've been given. It says, by the spirit whom he's given to live inside of us. What a gift we have. That's the down payment, right? That all this is happening, that all of it is right, that we get to be filled by the same Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus, that was upon all the men of faith in the Old Testament. We have access to that same Spirit. And He empowers us, and, and we can get into a whole other study about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But, but suffice to say, man, we just want to be children of God. And, and we want to rejoice in that relationship that we have with God. There's, there's you know, so many from the Old Testament that only dreamed of seeing and experience, uh, experiencing what we get every single day. What a joy to be a child of God, yeah. Lord, thank you so much for the love that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins. And we pray, Lord, that as we look at your word, that we would take it seriously. Lord, we, we pray right now that you would put your finger on any area of our life that your word spoke to tonight. Lord, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lord, uh, kind of kick us in the butt if that's what we need. And Lord, I pray, you know, just like we said towards the end that even if our heart condemns us, you're greater than our heart. Lord, if, 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 if there's any place that the enemy is going above and beyond right now or, or pushing us too hard and, and causing us to not trust you the same, Lord, we, we pray against that work in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just want to be your kids. We just want to love you. Bless us tonight, we pray, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand and we'll...